0: It's good to be with you guys today. Have you guys ever started a project that you thought was gonna be smaller than it was and then once you start it, you kinda open it up and you have that like deer in the headlights look and you're like, oh no. Oh, oh, oh no, I thought this was gonna be like a Saturday thing, and then you realize no, this is like a three month thing. Uh, that's pretty much what happened with today's message. So we had three weeks that we knew we had to fill in, and I was like, oh, three, you know what's three of? The Trinity. Let's do three weeks on the Trinity Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this week is the sun, and so, so I started on Monday to, to, to look at the text and to, and to think about Jesus, and I opened up my screen, and the cursor just started blinking at me, and I realized, oh, I'm in so much trouble. Like, the idea that I'm going to do an entire message on Jesus, the Son, in, in one week, where John, the apostle, right, the apostle, writes, he goes, if I were to have all the books in the entire world, I could not describe to you all that is Jesus, And yet, that's what we're going to attempt to take a bite out of today. And what I'll tell people a lot, especially if it's their first time preaching at Acts, my encouragement to them is to simply say, give them Jesus. So that is what I am going to hope to do as we unpack this beautiful mystery of the Trinity in the Son of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Creator God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Lord, we invite you into this time. Lord, and... Humbly, I ask that you speak through me. Lord, that as we encounter you in your word and start to unpack who the Son of God is and some core tenets of what that looks like in our lives and what that means for our lives. Lord, I pray that you speak. Lord, I pray that we're drawn a little bit closer uh, to a Son who is Lord and Savior and friend and teacher and so much more. Lord, we say this all in your Son's precious name. Amen! So as I said, we are in a sermon series looking at the Trinity. And, and last week we looked at the Father, this week we're looking at the Son, next week Jacob is going to teach on the Spirit, good luck with that in one week. All right, and we've been unpacking what they look like, and I, I talked about last week that the, the Trinity, the more you try to describe it, sometimes you get into the weeds. Right? Historically, we've talked about God in three persons, but one substance, There's one God, and yet somehow within this Trinity, within this divinity, there are three separate persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we we say the Son of God is Jesus, but if you look throughout history, you're going to find a lot of different versions of Jesus, a lot of different ways you can answer the question, well, well, who is Jesus? And if you were to go to different times in different cultures, if you were to go on on 6th Street in Austin and say, Who is Jesus? I bet you if you ask that question 20 times, you would get 19 different answers. And even within the church, we argue and we debate who is Jesus. And I came up with a couple of different ones that kind of always make me smile, right? So if you've ever seen this one, it's Buddy Jesus. This is from Dogma from my 90s fans, Kevin Smith, if you remember that, okay? So we've got him. Uh, This is blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus, always always a fan of that one. The the German Jesus, a lot of us grew up with this picture in our churches, right, kind of looking over us. Uh, Gandhi famously said, I like your Christ, I do not like your Christians, for your Christians are so unlike your Christ. That's, that's always a hard one to have to look at. There's the uh, Talladega sweet baby Jesus, right? We like that one, right? There are, there are a lot of different forms of Jesus. And part of the reason for that is a truth that extends beyond him of how we look at God's. If you look at historically, not just within Christianity, but in religions across the world, in fact, as long as humans have been trying to understand God, which is pretty much since the dawn of humanity, we've been fighting to make him more like us, So if you look at the Greek and the Roman gods of Aphrodite or Zeus or pick your god, right? They were essentially just Greeks and Romans, but better versions of Greeks and Romans, more powerful versions of Greeks and Romans, right? And they cared about the Greeks and the Romans. They didn't care about the Babylonians or the Persians or the Egyptians. And if you were Egyptian, the god of Ra was just a better version of the people, but he had the same philosophy of the people, just a better, stronger version of the people, and we do the same thing with Jesus, and not just Christians, for that matter. In fact, most people, well, most is probably a strong word, a lot of people have a very good feeling about Jesus, but like Gandhi, there's other issues, right? So my best friend in Madison, Wisconsin, where I was first a pastor, is an atheist. He's a pretty outspoken atheist, but my God, does he love Jesus. He just loves his version of Jesus. You see, in his version of Jesus, he's like, man, Jesus was this guy who just loved on people and he cared for people, and he looks at the miracles. He's like, they weren't really miracles. Jesus didn't feed 5,000 people with a couple loaves of bread. Instead, he shared his sandwich, right? And so what my friend has done is he's looked at, okay, the stories of Jesus, and he said, you know what? I, I can see so much myself in that. And so he creates his own version of who Jesus is. But it's not just non-Christians who do that. Christians do that. I do that. All of us wrestle with that, of creating God in our own image, right? So God is just a better version of us. A little bit further down the line, Anne Lamont has a fantastic quote that whenever God hates all the same people you do, you've made him in your own image, right? But we do that, right? We're like, yes, love your neighbor as yourself, just not that neighbor, right? Right? or yes, God loves everyone, but he doesn't, but he's really mad at this group, or this subsection of whatever tribe you want to be a part of. All of us wrestle with making Jesus in our own image. And it's part of the reason why Christian community is so important, It's, it's why we need one another. And it's why we need diversity within the church, that we're not all just one type of person, we're not just one tribe, No, we believe God is for all people, and so we wrestle, and we sharpen one another. And and when I get into the temptation of like, oh, no, 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 this is the type of Jesus I need. I need people like Betsube, or Jacob, or y'all to be able to hold me to account like that. That's that's not the Jesus we find here in Scripture. And and so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to unpack this question of who is Jesus to the best of our abilities on a one Sunday— and to be clear, this is not a question that we just struggle with. In ancient times, people, when Jesus was here, they were asking that question. In Matthew 16, verse 13 and following, Jesus asked his que- this question to his disciples. He says, when Jesus came to the region of Assyria of Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And he had shown up and he said, I am the son of man. So he was asking, who are people saying I am? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But but what about you, Jesus asked? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. God. People had been asking, who is this Jesus? Is he a good teacher? Is he a new prophet? Is he a new type of Moses? Everyone was trying to fit Jesus into a box that worked for them. And there were certain things that everyone loved about Jesus. The crowds loved that they got a free lunch when they got to go see Jesus. Right? All of us love a good free meal, right? Awesome. Give Give me that part of Jesus. The Pharisees loved that Jesus knew Scripture really well. The disciples loved the idea of God's kingdom coming, and they had very clear expectations of what they expected God's kingdom to look like. They were all trying to figure out who is Jesus, And, and Simon Peter says, you are the Messiah, you're the hero we've been waiting for, the son of the living God. And from that, Jesus responds, and he says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you, Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not overcome it. He tells Peter, he goes, this truth, that I am the Son of God, is what we are going to build the church on. This reality that we have a God who is a Messiah, that we have a God who came down and that, and that Christ wasn't just a teacher. He wasn't just a savior. No, no, no. He was part of the Godhead, part of the Trinity, and that's what we're going to look at today. And we're going to look at it in the book of Philippians. It was the reading that we did. If you want to hang out with me and the Bibles that we've been using, that is going to be on page 1487. And it starts off, and and Paul is writing to the church of of how they're supposed to love one another. And he uses Jesus as the the way and the means to do that. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So the the, the specific context he's using is as you look at one another, as you relate to one another, be like Jesus. And, And that makes sense, right? Jesus tells us to be like him. He calls us to be imitators of him. But, but there's more depth there. Because what we're going to see throughout this scripture, in fact, all of scripture, is Jesus is the key to understanding everything God is doing. Period. He is, what we learned about in seminary, was called the hermeneutical key. Big word. But the hermeneutical key meant if you want to understand the Old Testament, if you want to understand the New Testament, you do it all through the lens of understanding that Jesus is the centerpiece of that. He is the lens that we see everything else. And he's the lens that we see relationships in. And what's cool is in the Trinity, we actually see a relationship within the Godhead of how the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit work together in concert, in union, and in a way that Jesus then asks, I want you to have those same type of relationships with one another. That in the same way that there is a relationship within the Trinity that is full of love and sacrifice and service and unity, I want you to have that same mindset among yourself. And then Paul unpacks what that mindset looks like, what Jesus was, or who Jesus is, what he did, and what that means for us as the church. He continues on, he says, who... In very, being very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. And this is the first part. Jesus is God. Right. Much to my best friend, and I love this dude. This is something that we disagree with, quite core. Je- Jesus wasn't just a teacher. He was a teacher. Jesus wasn't just a friend, he, he was a friend. Jesus wasn't just a human, and we're going to see in just a second, he was human. But Jesus is God. Not a demigod like Hercules. Jesus is divine. John 1 starts off and says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Colossians says all things were made through him and for him. When we look at the second person of the Trinity, it starts by realizing that Jesus is God. And and from that flows everything else. But though he is God, as, as we sang, what a beautiful name it is, he was a God who was willing to put on flesh. Where Philippians continues on, says, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So, not only was Jesus fully God, but he was also fully man. John 1 continues on. It says, the word, the divine, became flesh, put on flesh, and made his dwelling among us. The, the Greek there is literally he pitched his tent The message says Jesus moved into the neighborhood. So we have Jesus both being fully divine and yet being fully human. Which is beautiful because it's it's this reality that God so much wanted a relationship with us. Not only was he willing to put on flesh, but he's now able to empathize with us on an entirely different level. He's able to connect with our weaknesses Jesus stubbed his toe. Right? Jesus got sick. Right? We're in this uh, cycle right now of strep throat into the flu, into the cold, into COVID, into allergies, and then it starts all over again, right? Jesus had to live that cycle. It wasn't like he showed up and he was this miraculous little baby that never cried. Right? That's uh, as much as I love singing Silent Night. I mean, it's it's a beautiful song. I love the candlelight service. My guess is when Jesus was born, it probably wasn't that silent of a night most of the time, right? He put on flesh. He became like us. He had the same stresses and, and the same, Scripture says, temptations. It says that Jesus was tempted in every way. Think about that. Every temptation you've ever faced. The book of Hebrews says Jesus experienced it too. And because he experienced it, he can relate to us in our challenges, in our weakness. So not only do we have a divine God who is the Son of God, we have a God who is fully human. Philippians 2 continues on. In being found in appearance of, his, of a man, he humbled himself and became obe- uh, humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. All right, so we start off, Paul says, by saying Jesus is God. And then he says, and Jesus is man. And then he says what Jesus was willing to do that he would humble himself. He would humble himself in the plan of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. This, this was a prophecy from the book of Isaiah, we're in Isaiah 53, we have these words. He was oppressed and afflicted, that he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Verse 6, we are all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. And yet the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This was always the plan. That he would become obedient to death, even death on a cross. And what we see here is the heart of our God. I'm I'm a big story fan, right? I love story in all of its forms, right? Whether it's video games, whether it's books, whether it's movies. I love story in sports. Eric and I were talking about the different storylines in the NFL playoffs that are going on right now. And as I learned about story, what I eventually unpacked, what was taught to me, was true character is found in action and in choice. If you want to know the true character of someone, it's not me telling you, oh, they're a good person. Right? If you read a book and the author is telling you how great of a person someone is, oftentimes they're just getting ready to bait and switch you. That's what authors do, because it's a way to kind of set you up for one thing, but then once they start to choose actions, that's where you actually see the true character of a person. And so what we have in Jesus is God showing us his true character. That he loved us so much that, as again, we sang just a little bit ago, that heaven was so important for us to get to that he was willing to die for you. He was willing to die for me, that while we were all like sheep, wandering off on our own, doing our own thing, the character of God was revealed in Christ. That he loved us this much. And what that allows us to do is trust in the character of God. That when things get hard when we don't get the news that we want from our job or from the news or from the doctor, we trust in the character of this God. That's what Paul is unpacking. That's what Paul is saying who our God is, which then leads to, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Paul says Jesus is God. Paul says Jesus is human. Paul then describes the choices, the actions, the character of who our God is willing to die. And then he says, and this is the result. That, that he would be exalted and that every knee would bow and that Christ is Lord to the glory of God, his Father, our Father. So this is my seventh year at Acts, and so I'm going to tell a story that some of you have heard before. So to that, I say welcome to be my wife. She's heard all of my stories many times. But it is one of the best examples I have of this next point. I was in seminary. I was in my second uh, semester, and I had a professor, Dr. Akamoto. Dr. Okamoto was amazing. He was also very weird. Uh, he read all of his lectures, literally, off of a, I mean, he literally wrote them all out, so he would just read his lectures, and then he would stop. And he would also stop at jokes. And he would tell a joke, he would stop, and with his eyes closed, he would laugh, silently, in front of all of us. <laughs> all right, uh, Dr. Okamoto. he was great. But, first day of class, and it was, we were learning about the sun, so we had a whole semester to learn about Jesus. He asked us a question. And he said, what is the most important thing to know about Jesus? Now, this is a Lutheran seminary. We're all good Lutheran boys. And so we all tell him that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And he looked at us, and the first one, and he went, no. <laughs> And so we're like, okay, it's it's, it's not that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. All right, he he, he wants something more specific. So the next person would go, and they would say that that Jesus is the Lamb of God. And then we would read the, the verse that says that Jesus is the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. We've got it. And he looked at us. No. He went around the entire classroom. And we all did different versions of that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. This is the most important thing to know. And he said no, and he laughed at us over and over and over again. I have never seen a class so upset. We were pretty sure we found a heretic. Right, we were convinced that Dr. Okamoto was a heretic, and that we were going to lynch him. Right, not not physically, but metaphorically, we were ready to take him out. He was laughing at us. He gets to run the entire classroom, and we are now like foaming at the mouth. You are wrong. The most important thing to know about Jesus is that he died on the cross for our sins. He said, "Y'all, of course, it's important to know that Jesus died on the cross for your sins." But that is not the most important part. That's not the thing that we start with. And then he read us the Apostles' Creed. And we believe in Jesus Christ, his or God's, only son, our Lord. He said, y'all, the most important thing to know about Jesus is that he is Lord. Everything else flows from that. And then we spent the entire semester unpacking what that meant. Because, yes, Jesus is your Savior. He is my Savior. He came to forgive the sins of the world. Amen. Jesus is our friend. We're going to read that in a minute. Jesus is the good shepherd. He is all of those things. But the problem is if we don't get this right, we don't get anything else right. Because if the most important thing to know is that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, who is the center of God's story? Me. If the most important thing to know puts me at the middle, puts me at the center, I'm missing the story of what God is up to. And that is what our sin tries to do. It tries to make us the center of the story. And we're not. We're not built for that. And that does not mean that you are not a part of God's story. That does not mean that you are not one that God came to die for and that he loves and he has a plan for you all. God loves you more than you could ever love yourself. God cares more about your story than you do. But if we start from any other place other than Jesus is Lord, that he's master, that he's in control, we start to create God in our own image. In our own unique ways, in our own unique variables, my sin is going to come in and is going to start to construct a Jesus who starts to look like me. Who, Who doesn't hold me accountable, who doesn't challenge me in the ways that I need to be challenged. But what we have throughout all of Scripture is again and again in the New Testament, Paul and the apostles and Jesus himself saying, y'all, I am Lord. That word just means master. I am in control. And when we come to him, it comes to a God who we're saying, you know what, I'm actually not very good at being the center of the story. That's where my brokenness comes from. That's where my hurt comes from. Instead of saying, no, you you are God. I am a creature, and yet I am called into your family. And that would be really scary if he was like all the other masters of the world, all the other lords of the world, the presidents and the dictators and the Caesars, right? If if that was just that, that would be terrifying. But instead, what we have is a God who says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. Right? And he doesn't say, and I'm going to make your life harder. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. Get your life together first, and then we can have a relationship. That's not how the verse goes. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. For my yoke, my way is easy, and my burden is light. We have a master, a Messiah, who says, I love you this much. Trust in my character. Trust in my plan. If I was willing to do this for you, I promise I'm not going to leave you out to dry. I'm not going to leave yours out to dry. But it starts with Jesus as Lord, and from that, then we're able to see all the different aspects of who he is. And again, in the words of John, there are a lot of different aspects of who Jesus is. That's the grammar. So we're not going to look at all of them. We're going to look at four of them today that flow out of Jesus as Lord. So first, Jesus is God and Lord. He is Our Savior, right? So we were right. It is important to know that Jesus is the Lamb of God who comes away to take the sin of the world. That is quite critical to understanding who our God is. Even if it's not the most important thing, y'all, you have a Savior. And no matter what you've done, no matter what you said, no matter what's been done to you, you have a Savior. God did not consider his own death, crucifixion, humiliation, too high a cost to be in a relationship with you. Yes, he is Lord, but he is the type of Lord who fights for his people, who dies for his people. That's how desperately he wanted a relationship with you and your family and your neighbor and every single other person that we've encountered. That's why the call to love your neighbor as yourself is so critical, is so crucial, because it's not just about us. He said, no, in the same way that I love you, in the same way that a good shepherd will go and hunt you down and find you and bring you back to the flock, he says, I want that for everyone. All who are far off. He goes, I want to have a relationship with them. Not just our own personal Savior, where I'm at the center of the story, but no, the story is he loved all of us. He wanted his whole family to be together. All creation in harmony with one God, Lord, and Savior. So Jesus as God and Lord, Jesus as human. And again, we talked about this. It comes from Hebrew. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have been one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Every week we, we leave these doors and we encounter life. And sometimes it's awesome, right? Sometimes your playoff team wins. Sometimes your playoff team doesn't win. Sometimes work goes awesome, and you get all the attaboys and, atta and 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 sometimes you hear about the layoff. Sometimes we're healthy, sometimes we're sick. And what we have is a Lord who said, I want to be able to empathize with you. I want to be able to know what it's like to be human. I want to live that experience so when we go to our God in heaven, it's not abstract thought of how to help us. Instead, he's able to lean in and say, no, I am for you. I am with you. And not only am I Lord, not only am I Savior, but I'm human. And so we're going to be able to engage and have a relationship that's that's deeper than us having a relationship with some far-off God. Now he says, I want to pitch my tent among you. I want to be with you. We have a God, a Lord, who is Savior, who is human, and who is teacher? You well, know, not just a teacher, but he is teacher. This comes from Luke. The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. God has a plan for you. All of us, I know, if we, well, yeah, I don't know. If all of us could, if we had the Christmas, like, okay, God, just give me the plan, right? Tell me what job I'm supposed to take, what person I'm supposed to marry, what vacation we're supposed to go on, definitely the stock market, give me all the insight there, right? Like, if we could, yeah, give us, give us the 10-point plan, God. Well, Jesus says, y'all, I've got something better for you. And he wants to teach us. He wants to shape us. He wants us to better reflect him and to experience the type of fruit that he showed. The same type of relationships that he had. The same type of impact that he had. God isn't just up there trying to save us. He's not up there just trying to empathize with us. He has a plan for us. We talked about it last week. And that plan has been in motion since before creation even started and he invites us to learn from him. You're going to be hearing a lot more about that phrase uh, Jacob mentioned earlier, what is Jesus teaching you? He wants to teach us. He wants to invite us to learn from him so that we can actually be like him, that we can be better mothers and fathers and husbands and wives and sisters and brothers and students and workers, that we have a God who doesn't just leave us as we are, but says, y'all, I've got something better for you. I want to grow you. I want to develop you. I want to walk with you. And he's patient and he's kind because, y'all, we are stubborn. I, I am stubborn. But he's a very patient teacher. Last but not least, we have a God who's a friend. God wants to be your friend. That's insane. Jesus wants to be your friend. He wants to be my friend. He tells this to his disciples, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from you, I have made, from my father, I have made known to you. God wants to spend time with you. Not just to teach you things, though he wants to teach you things. Not not just to forgive you, though he wants to forgive you. Not just to empathize. God wants to spend time with you. He wants to be friends with you. When we go into our quiet time, when we're driving around, he wants to be invited into those moments of the the mountaintops and the valleys. I've always been blessed with some of the best friends. It's, 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 It's one of the biggest blessings of my life. And friendship at its core is about walking with people, right? It's about doing life with people. It's about inviting them in when you're excited. And it's about inviting them in when it's hard. And Jesus says, I want to be your friend. I want to be invited into those moments. This is way back, Machine, 20 years ago when I was doing high school youth ministry. I was talking about this. And a week later, uh, a sophomore girl came up and she said, I think I had one of those moments. What do you mean? I think I had one of those moments where like, I was God's friend. I'm like, what happened? Like, I was on a jet ski. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, I was just having so much fun. And I was just smiling. And I stopped. And I thought, I think God wants to be, I think God is here. And she was, and then I spent the next 30 minutes just smiling with God on the jet ski. I'm like, you got it. That's it. That's what God wants. As we are experiencing life, the good and the bad, he wants to do it with you. He wants to spend time with you. Not, not Not as a burden, not as another thing, another objective to do, but because he actually likes you. He likes me. He built us. He designed us, and he wants to experience life with us. And again, if we make that the center of the story, we get in trouble. But when it flows out of Jesus as Lord and God, and we realize that that's part of the story, even if it's not the center of the story, the joy and the beauty and the strength that come from there, y'all, that is something to celebrate. That is something to worship. That is something to stand on. And that's really what I want to end today. As we think about Jesus, as we think about the Son of God, as we look at all of that, Jesus says these words in Matthew chapter 7. Verses 21 and following. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, right? Those, that word we just mentioned, master, master, will enter the kingdom of God, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, we did, not pro- did we not prophesy Da, 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 da. Oh, yeah. Okay, we'll do this first. Did not prophesy in the name, drive out demons, uh, and perform many miracles. And then I will tell them plainly get away from me, evildoers. You never knew me. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation built on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. The rain came down, streams rose, winds blew, beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount talking about Lord, Lord, and and saying when our life is built on all that comes with that and what flows out of that, we are on a firm foundation. We are on a foundation that is literally built by God, the creator of the universe, the one who can raise the dead, the one who stilled the storms, the one who, even in death, ends up just being a blip where we close our eyes on one sign of eternity and we open them in the next. This firm foundation as Christ as Lord and yes, as Savior, and is human, and as teacher and friend, and a million other aspects of God in human flesh. He's for you. He's for me. And it's not the God that we celebrate today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are literally going to spend all of eternity getting to know you better. As Father, as Son, and Holy Spirit. Lord, as friend, as Savior, and as a Lord, but not as a God who is oppressive, but as a God who fights for his people, even when they're fighting against him. Lord, we come before you in confession that all too often, not only have we wandered like sheep, but, but we've also not treated you as Lord. We wanted to be our own master control our own things, our own life purpose, Father, and all the mess and the sin and the ugliness that comes with that. But Lord, we are bold to confess (coughs) because Scripture says that you are good and when we come before you, you forgive us our sins. You again draw us into relationship with you and into relationship with each other as well. say that's all in our son's precious name. Amen. We continue our worship.